from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things of the week that make us go wow. Wow. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. Hello, everyone. Hello. And, of course, host of uh, our podcast network, Night Fever, James St. James, literary genius. I'm very well, thank you. Um, says here. <laughs> Could you be any more excited? <laughs> the show was going can, so well up until that point. Benton. I know. Can, can we just get pump a little bit of enthusiasm into this, Benjamin? I beg <laughs> of you. You got 30 immaculate seconds. You're already <laughs> complaining. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go again. <laughs> 2024 is zipping along, and we're already on our first episode of March. Goodbye, February. Let's get started with the countdown. Number 10, Tom. Number 10. In case you've been living under a rock, it's award season. And for some reason, it feels like award season on steroids because, I don't know, there was things that had to catch up, but there was a lot of award shows this weekend and a lot of kind of memorable moments. Again, I'm far away. I'm actually speaking to you from tomorrow, tomorrow in New Zealand. Um, or a day ahead. But um, I wanted to get you guys to weigh in too. But some of my favorite moments that have popped up on the internet is, my favorite, I'll start with my favorite, is Nick Offerman at the Spirit Awards, accepting for that amazing, sends chills up my spine as I start to talk about it, episode where, uh, of uh, The Last of Us, where he and Murray Bartlett played, uh, you know, these against all odds, a survivalist meets, you know, in this post-apocalyptic world. They find each other. Nick Offerman plays a man who, it just couldn't be more set up and beautiful, but who's like a, a survivalist who's alone, who's built fences around his house and traps and booms to kill the zombies and all that kind of stuff. And against all odds, he finds someone to fall in love with. And that person happens to be another man and it's winning all these awards and we talked about it when it happened it was about a year ago um it was incredible because it's based on a, a, a video game and there's all this hate and backlash and so in his acceptance speech which was very brief but very funny he said you know and for all the people that had trouble with that it's not a gay story it's not a gay love story it's a love story and i just i don't know i'm doing not doing it justice, right no and he also said like and the reason we, because weren't people asking him, why did it have to be a gay love story? Why yeah. is he gay? And he's like, because of assholes like you asking questions like that. Because <laughs> like, it's a love story. Thank you for saving me from that one. Yes. Like, yeah, didn't he fall into his trap? Wasn't that how he found him? He like, yeah, he, he, he came upon his property and was kind of like down there and, and he took mercy on him for just a right. minute. It was this glint. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. Okay, um, we're drifting away from the from the premise here of award shows because oh, Tom, I really it this isn't about The Last of Us. This is about award shows. I and got Tom, caught. I wanted to know sorry. how you felt about Barbara Streisand. I would imagine you were in Hog's Heaven. I listen. I I can't get my I can't access my Netflix. I've watched the clips. I didn't see the the video package, but I heard you know Jennifer Aniston and Bradley Cooper introduce her, and I heard her speak. 
and she was incredible and grateful for Barbara. There was a political message in there. My favorite part of it is that gays went back and de- sort of uh, destructed, deconstructed her outfit and realized that the jacket she was wearing, she wore in the main event, that the hat was from uh, Donna Karen, 1989, that the, the dress was from an award show in the 70s that she attended, that she basically just went into her closet and threw together together an amalgamation of things that she already had which i love i love i love i want to say that i have i want to be a crank for two seconds because there are a couple things that bothered me about the sag awards they did a really good in memoriam section the in memoriam was really beautifully done this year and it included a wide spectrum of people that don't always get uh noticed on these award shows and a lot of um soap people were mentioned but they didn't mention Jacqueline Zeman, Andrea Evans, or Sonia Eddy, which is weird because they did Billy Miller and a couple other of the male soap stars. I thought it was very odd. I'm wondering if maybe the Emmys will do something nicer, or I just I thought it was sort of sad. The other weird thing was um, Robert Downey Jr. giving a shout out to Mel Gibson for helping him in his career, and people were very upset about that, which I... If he helped him in his career, he helped him in his career and he was thanking him. So I, I don't know, but it is sort of sometimes when these people get canceled, it's it's hard to give them yes, their Yes, but props. everybody has different relationships with all kinds of different people at different it's points true. in their life. It's and, true. Um, it's true. The other two things that were just highlights for me was the uh, reunion of the Devil Wears Prada with... Uh, yes, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> With Anne Hathaway and, and uh, um Anne Hathaway, I was it Anne that was wearing cerulean blue. Yes, she was. <laughs> yes. Uh, what, 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 what? Tell me what it was. I missed it. Oh, uh, Meryl Streep comes out and she says, "She goes, you know, we don't. We're not the parts we play." Oh, I've forgotten my glasses and my 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 card. And out come. Why can't I think of the actress's name? Anne, Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt come out who played her assistants. And they repeated her lines. It was, you know, to her. Um, and there's so the very famous scene in Devil Wears Prada where she breaks down how the color blue makes it through bubble. And she says, you think it's just blue. It's not. It's cerulean blue. And so Anne yes. Hathaway was wearing a cerulean blue gown. Uh-huh. It was very funny. You should watch that. And the last, yeah. um, shooting our own horn for a minute, but RuPaul's Drag Race won a very prestigious award at the PGA Awards for Best Competitive uh, series and Randy Barbado, our other co-founder, accepted the award, gave a really beautiful speech, and ended by asking for three little favors: one, vote; two, if you can, hire a drag queen; and three, tip your local drag queens. And I thought that was uh, awesome. So, and yeah, I, we, yeah. you know, it was fun to see, and everyone, a lot of the producers were there. It was beautiful. Um, but I do want to say that both the Spirit Awards, I, I watched the Spirit Awards and the um, SAG Awards, and they were both done really, really well, just overall. They yeah. were they were they moved along, they were funny, they had great people. And for once the banter, which sometimes can be so strange, yes. so uh, it was like really fresh and really funny, and everybody yeah. was really committed. And um, I was just it, it gave me hope. For the upcoming Oscars. I'm, the I'm upcoming very... Oscars, the official climax of awards season and the end of it for like, what, two weeks before it all cranks <laughs> up again? Yes. And one little little, little uh, thing that's leaked is I think they're bringing back where um, each category is going to have five or six previous winners. 
I giving, love that, uh, which they haven't done in 15 years. Yes, which was really cool when they did it. It's, it's yeah. like, I don't know, like a video game or something. It's like All Mortal right. Kombat, the Oscars. That's the Oscars coming on March 10th. All right, moving on, number nine. Number nine. I don't know if you guys, if you guys have been paying attention to this. Wendy's fast food restaurants announced that they were going to start doing dynamic pricing, which means that they are following the Uber price surging motif where during peak hours, lunch, breakfast, dinner, prices will shoot up accordingly and then go down during the off hours, which is very different than AMC, which does discount times for off hours or, you know, like early bird specials for, you know, during off hours. This is not giving discounts. This is increasing the price, which imagine you are standing in line for 20 minutes and you get to the register and all of a sudden the price of your Baconator goes up by $3. Okay. Or you, you go to Wendy's and you see a line at, at the, you know, drive through and you realize, well, just go to Burger King because when, by, they've just raised the prices because more people are there. So this doesn't sound like a good idea. No, it's a terrible idea. And first of all, it's just lying in the pockets of the, of the corporate bigwigs. You know, it's a corporate bigwig who makes $80 million a year deciding to do this. And it kill. you know, the people who need fast food are, are people who don't have time or, you know, usually it's poor families. It's you're hurting your customer is what you're doing. And what is to stop? You know, if it, uh, the news said that all the other fast food companies were watching this very closely and very soon you'll see McDonald's doing it, Burger King doing it. You'll see, you know, Chipotle doing it. And what's to stop restaurants from doing it? What's to stop supermarkets from doing it? What's to stop us from becoming a price surging country where everything is just based on price gouging, price surging? But it'll be one more to- reason to become a creature of the night. To do everything at three a.m. That's that's my uh, my my in- input. Exactly. But imagine you go to you know you go to the you know Macy's or, or Bloomingdale's or something, and they shoot the price up because it's it's you know lunch hour. Did I mean, you hear? There's going to be no more Macy's. James. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I changed it to Bloomingdale's. But basically, <laughs> the idea that 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 we are entering into a price gouging era is just it's it's a little disturbing and i see fenton just with a with a confused look on his face like he doesn't understand why this is a bad thing no i i i where i was going with it is once everybody's doing it then it will become just gouge all the time i mean because you know like raise prices but also i'm not i don't know about wendy's like i've never really seen a long line at wendy's so i (laughs) Well, Wendy's is um, the most expensive of the fast food oh, restaurants. I did not. And it is, um, I mean, if if you are a fast food connoisseur, Wendy's is up there as one of the best. It, it so it's trying to be the Zara of fast, as fast clothes. Zara is in fast clothes, what yeah. Wendy's. Yes, it is the Zara of fast food <laughs> restaurants. Prove me wrong, but it sounds, I agree with you, it sounds like a horrible idea. It sounds like it's going to fail miserably. Well, people are furious about it. The worst PR, even if it doesn't make a big difference, it just sounds awful. And McDonald's recently, the big guy came out and said, because they've been raising their prices just in general, and they said that we have to go back to like the dollar menu. We have to like make sure that we are offering 
you know, both levels, you know, saying well, so, because we'll, we'll, he basically, you know, like a KFC, you know, meal, which used to be $12 is now $34. You know I mean? Like basically the prices are climbing up on everything and it's not the government. It's not the Democrats that are doing that. It's the, the CEOs of these people who are getting greedy. You know what they need? They need a French fry um, sort of sex toy bucket, like the popcorn like bucket. The dude. That's what these places Everybody need. Everybody needs sex toy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your food wrapping. Your happy bottle. meals, you get a sex toy. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Happy, happy ending meals. A happy ending meal. All right. <laughs> Number eight. Number eight. I'm so excited to give my little review of. Rue's book, The House of Hidden Meanings, which comes out March 5th. You can pre-order it now. I predict here it's going to make it onto the New York Times bestseller list. No question. I think it already it already is a bestseller. So that's and I think Rue's going to be out on book tours and on the radio and on TV and doing all that malarkey. But I read it. I devoured it. it it's not Rue's first memoir you know uh, letting go hang out and guru but i think it's his his most sort of intimate and i was certainly really struck and and moved by sort of how thoughtful it was it, it like you know when you think of things in life and they're in the back of your mind and you never really either bother to or quite have the ability to like put it in the foreground and clarify it and put it down on paper that's what I, I, just reading this book, every page, it was like, oh, my God, yes. Or, you know, I hadn't thought of that or just so beautifully put. Yeah. Can I borrow it from you? I'm very excited to read it. I'm I very I, I hear nothing but amazing things about it. And God bless Rue for, hmm. for you know, delving into the her psyche. It, it's interesting also because it's a. Uh, um, as memoirs go, I, let's call it a pre-fame war. It, yeah. it stops with uh, Drag Race. And even, you know, it doesn't really talk a lot about supermodel. You know, it, it's very much a sort of um, personal interior landscape. And there is something in it that I really do want to share, which is just so moving and something I think I will remember for the rest of my life, which is, Rue talks about when he was five, his sisters sitting him down for a picnic. They sat on a blanket and ate cookies. And he describes feeling under his thumb the latticework of the fork print pressed into the top of the cookie. So it is a photographically realistic memory in the way that I think a few times in life, something happens to you and it just it's just there forever, right? And with yeah. crystal clarity. Yeah. And in the course of this picnic, his sister tells him, yeah, it, it's called a picnic. And then Rue says this, he says, by naming it, she was making the moment something more than it was. We weren't just eating cookies on a blanket. The ceremony of it, the theater of it, that is what anointed this as something extraordinary. The creation of a kind of magic Reality was suspended. The rules were different. Eating cookies on a blanket was a regular thing to do, but a picnic, now that was something special. Magic I saw for the first time was a choice and it must be created. And to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, the truth of that, you know? And that's what all creativity is. And it certainly 
kind of certainly what television is. Um, and we're all born naked, and the rest is drag. Another great Rueism. Yes, um, and, and I mean we all about- sit on blankets eating cookies, but it isn't always a picnic. Right. Benton, you've done him longer than I have, and James, you have. To, it's like having worked with him for many years. He is so sensitive, and you know the fact that he can recall things. This speaks, to, I think, his sensitivity, and I think not to but you know as queer kids sometimes we we hold on to these little things and moments that separated us and that you know and and i, I for the first time i think rue's going out on his book tour and i think he's excited to do it but i think he's written a very revealing book so very. he's you know it's it's like he's really going out there you know without the wig without the makeup and just with his heart and his sleeve and i think people are going to yeah. really enjoy enjoy that yeah, he he also talks about the American Music Show, the public access show he went on in Atlanta, and you sort of realize that he understood what TV is, and it obviously that show wasn't a network show; it was a cable public access show. But Rue knew that a TV is a TV is a TV, and it is a sort of an amplifier or a a, a, a sort of fame multiplier. And also, by the way, the best description of an REM song ever put on paper. He says, the REM song sounded like a human sob. <laughs> I, oh. I can't tell if he's throwing shade or if it's an applause, but it, it, personally, <laughs> REM songs are not my thing. And I do think they sound like human sobs, <laughs> like stifled human sobs. Anyway, it's a, it's a really great book and it's out March 5th. All right, let's take a break. New episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 16, UK versus the World Season 2, tonight on, of course, WOW Presents Plus, uh, excluding USA, Canada, Australia. Yes, sign up on wowpresentsplus.com. Blake, do you have a question for us? I do, I do. We all know the song um, Groove is in the Heart by Delight, right? And you yes. know the sample that goes, I, 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 I. You know that part? I do know that sample. Um, what actress is that? Oh. All right, we'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to The Wow Report. It's Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. And I asked a trivia question. I asked in the song Groove is in the Heart by Delight. There's that I, 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 I sample. That's actually a sample of an actress that we all know. Who is it? Is it Jane Fonda in Barbarella? No. It's so good. It sounds like Stacey Q2 of Hearts. That's not really an actress. It was is meant it? to sound like the I, 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 I. But it's I not that. You. Right. Is it a porn actress? It's not. Fenton, you got to guess? No, because it was, I, I've just locked into the Stacey Q thing. Because when you that sample actually is from the Green Acres theme song. Ava Gabor is saying, I love a, you know. I just adore a penthouse view. In the sort of favorite famous sample sing, um, in uh, Lady Gaga poker face, ma, 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 that uh-huh. sample, you know who that is? No, 
It's Green from Bonga. Boney M. Mar Baker. Oh. Yes. Ma, 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 ma. Huge in the UK. Nice. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Unknown anywhere else. I don't even know who Boney Fingers is. <laughs> Boney M. Oh my gosh, so many. They're hits. one of the biggest acts in the UK. There was like a top 10 of all time UK show I saw when I was there, and Boney M is all over it. Mm-hmm. I'll be Ding Dong. Rivers of Babylon, um, Mar Baker. Um, this means nothing. <laughs> this is more title that James else. never heard of. Yeah. That'll be All right. That'll we're getting down to the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. Because I don't have access to real, real television, I am watching a lot of YouTube. And I like to look at old cars. I used to have a 53 Ford for like 50, for like 35 years and I sold it. And now my feed is all old cars. And so I started clicking on to sort of like straight guys driving their, you know, their, their hepped up like 57 Dodge and talking about it. And then that led me to this really to my favorite space, which is car advertisements, TV vintage from the sixties mostly. And talk about mad men. And talk about the twist of a concept. There was loyalty for Chevrolet, right? And the fleet of Chevrolets and what they had to offer. Or the Chrysler. Or it's 1960, the year of the Oldsmobile. And here are some of my favorites. And I, I, I invite you all to go onto YouTube and watch for yourself. But in 1967, I became excess, obsessed with the Dodge. It's the Polara. And it just had these big, juicy back. And you know lights and whatever, and they they hired this actress Pamela Austin who was just bouffant blonde, big boobies, and she kept so it would start off and she would be like on a railroad track, and all of a sudden the train would come behind her and she's gonna die, and then it would freeze frame, and then like a Dodge Coronet would drive by, and eventually the Dodge Coronet would save her, but you stayed with the ad to see how she would be saved. By the thing, it was so bizarre, and she'd always be like, "You know, join the Dodge Rebellion." Okay, these don't translate well in stories, but they're really fun to watch. But wait, um, so it's sort of like Penelope Pit Stop, where like, yes. every, like, like the, there would be cliffhangers, and you'd have to yes. wait for the she next did, commercial. She would say, "You know, hey, George, the Dodge Revolution." And then she gets stuck on a, a windmill, and she'd be up in the air, and then all of a sudden, a stunt woman, but her, would be falling. And then it'd be like, what happens? They talk, oh, the Dodge Palermo for 1967. It's so sleek. It's so nice. And by the end, she land in the car. Join the Dodge Revolution. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> there is some kind of documentary to be made just about the advertising. You know, starting with, not starting with, but like, you know, there's a, a, a plethora of dinosaur. Because also advertisers advertise shows. They sponsored shows. And they showed the Bewitch, which was sponsored by Chevy. They always had Chevys. What I didn't know is that the Chevy, when you see the beginning of Bewitch, the animation, when they go to the, the Chevy symbol turns into the moon that is then flown by Elizabeth Montgomery. They took all that stuff off, off for syndication, but literally Darren, a cartoon Darren and Samantha sit on a Chevy emblem. Like it's just shameless. Oh, it's sort of like when the Flintstones would be smoking um, Lucky yes. Strikes and they, like yes. Fred and Wilma would, would be saying, the doctors say that this is the, like the, the commercial, the people were part of the commercials. Yes, and so sexy girls are one thing. Then there was just like low talkers, like you know Robert Conrad or William Shatner, nineteen seventy one, with his original balding hair, uh, just starting to recede. And it's the nineteen seventy one Plymouth Fury, you know, and it's like a totally new automotive design. Come and then Plymouth come coming through. The best one, James. I sent this to you, and you can watch it. But it's like 
is Zsa Zsa Gabor. It's like, we're here at the house of an average housewife. And it's like, hello, darling. <laughs> and you just realize what a fucking genius Zsa Zsa Gabor was. Comedic <laughs> genius. Everything that comes out of her mouth. And she's like, and it, was, it was a 1963 Studebaco Lark, which was that really flat, big, that like was a big tre- tank looking car with a really disproportionately high roof and windows. And she goes, at first I thought that was too high. Then I realized when they raised the roof, you know, that I could go in with my hats. And so she keeps going in and out of the car and she's always in a different outfit. Oh, <laughs> my hair is up for the evening. And then, and, you know, and there's a vanity mirror built into the glove box. She goes, I love that <laughs> idea. And it has flat boards so my heels won't break. Um, and they said, Miss um, Gabor, were you paid to say these things? She goes, of course, darling. I got a, co- I got a different colored lock for every day of the week. Paisaj oh <laughs> <laughs> Gabor is really good. It's so funny that this is simultaneously the straightest and gayest thing yeah. one you've ever done on the show. Yes. <laughs> and the last two I'll just say is the 1969. And I start to remember these. I actually saw them was it was Ford and it was like 1969. They had a bunch of people in like sort of like racer suits, white and blue, but it was very mod. And it was like super gay dancer guys and girls with poofy hair. And they're all dancing. And, and it's like, Ford, we give you better ideas. And the O of Ford was a light bulb because it was a better idea. <laughs> and then last but not least, which brings us to but 1977 or eight and it's Farrah Fawcett for the Cougar. Oh, and they they would have the Cougar sign and they have the sound effect of a real Cougar. It's like, you know, (laughs) come to the sign of the cat. And she, she's, she's by the way. And I went off on a Farrah Fawcett thing. She was in so many commercials. She must've been so rich when commercials. She she had, she did the great um, shampoo commercial with Laverne, Penny Marshall. Remember she did, she did the, 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 um, uh, pearly drops of uh, the pearl drops um yes there was this is before she was farrah fawcett famous there's one with her and tom Selleck um with dubonnet two of the sexiest people on the earth why wouldn't you buy dubonnet just because they told you to anyway i am obsessed the last thing i'll say is walking around i used to do a paper route with my friend randy pinard in newport new hampshire population six thousand where i grew up and we were had the main street route and we would go down and there was cars parked there and we would name every car every year like we were obsessed with cars and it kind of brought me back. So to it's so heterosexual of you. It's it's very interesting. I've never cared anything about cars, but now I'll have to go down a car hole. And we'll post a link to those car commercials at worldofwonder.net slash wow report. Yeah. Um James, number six. Number six. I'm gonna take over uh where Tom usually uh is uh, and do it a rest in peace uh segment. This is rest in peace Flacco, the owl. I don't know if anyone outside of New York City has been following the Flacco uh, drama. Um, Flacco was a Eurasian eagle owl who was raised in captivity at the Central Park Zoo. And for the first 13 years of his life, he was in a box where he could not even spread his wings. And he was next to like the Wolverines or something, which terrified him. And uh, he sort of had a, a sad little life, basically, is what the story is. And then vandals came one night and put a hole in his box, and he was able to escape. And he became a symbol of freedom, of overcoming your obstacles to the people of New York. And he became an icon, a beloved figure. And when you saw Flacco the owl, it was like, good luck would follow you the rest of your day. People loved this owl. He was often seen in Central Park where he roosted, having never 
known freedom, never known nature, never knowing anything. He chose to stay in Central Park where he taught himself to hunt rats. And that's how he survived. And people would feed him. And he had a favorite tree where people would go and see him frequently. And he also very comically would be in windows, people's windows, they would open up the curtains and he would just be sort of stare, staring at them. And he was very famous for going on balconies and people would always take pictures of Flacco wherever. Well, sadly, this last week, he flew into a window and died. I mean, it's very sad. It's um, He collided with a building on the Upper West Side, prompting an outcry from New Yorkers who want the city to implement bird safe windows because so often it's a big problem in New York where the birds become disoriented disoriented by the reflection and the shining on windows and everything. So they're trying to push new legislation to help the birds. Um, There was a memorial service for Flacco and people are saying, you know, that that one year of freedom was better than another 10 years in captivity or, you know, that this this bird learned to be a bird, you know, learned to to be himself. And and um, but then there are other people. Joyce Carol Oates went on and said, no, he was probably terrified that whole year. You know, that mm-hmm. it's sort of like that thing where, you know, sometimes lions don't want to come out of their their cages when they're, you know, reintroduced into the nature because that's all they've ever known. And that maybe he was disoriented and terrified the whole time. But you want to believe that Flacco was was living his best life and being his best owl self for that year. This is the bleakest story. Every whichever way you look at it. It's it is. It is. Yeah. But but he was such a symbol of of possibility of changing your life, of finding happiness no matter what age you are. So I guess you can look at it that. It makes me want to sing Want to Find My Corner of the Sky from Pippin, but lucky for you, we don't have time. (laughs) Well, rest in perfection, Flacco the Owl. All right, um, number five. Number five. Reading another book. It's called It's Not You. And the, the subtitle is Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People by Romani Dervasula. Now, here's the thing. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. James, you listening? <laughs> I am. Um, I. He's not listening. <laughs> James just laughed for anyone listening. I think, I would, you know, when Trump got elected, there was a sudden surge in, in articles about narcissism. And I, I guess I like, I sort of heard about this book and decided to get it. And it wasn't published here in the States. So it took a while. It literally just arrived on my Kindle a few days ago and I started reading it and it's sort of like, you know, the four pillars of narcissism, the lack of empathy, grandiosity, sense of entitlement, need for admiration and validation from other people. I'm like, okay. And then narcissists practice on abusing people with gaslighting and dismissiveness and rage and threats and revenge and love bombing and then ghosting. And I'm like, as I'm reading this, I'm going to think, is this book speaking to me or or am I too in the, in the narcissist space? And I started like looking online and there's a huge genre of narcissist books. It's almost like a whole genre of, of sort of Nazi noir. Those books for, (laughs) if your parents are narcissists, if your father's a narcissist, if your mother was a narcissist, if you're, working with a narcissist in the world. These are all separate books. If you're married to a narcissist, 
if like Kayla is a narcissist or so you're just beginning to and then there's vulnerable narcissists and dominant narcissists and malignant narcissists and there's bully controller narcissists and show-off narcissists and addictive self-soothing narcissists and workaholic narcissists and superhero. I always begin to think like, well, hang on a second. Like, is everybody a narcissist? Is everybody and everything a narcissist? What, what do, you do you have mean? an Instagram account? Narcissist. <laughs> a little I bit. I do think that the rise in more narcissistic tendencies and personalities has it's been on the rise since trump i do think that he has given people uh, uh, a doorway to be their worst narcissistic selves i also and think right, social right, media have, as well social media has fed into that as well right because i i'm always like hate scrolling and saying oh look at you showing off your body or look at you showing off this i'm showing off whatever my work accomplishment we're all kind of putting our best foot forward, which is kind of narcissistic. And I also think where we can have some tolerance for each other, Abraham Lincoln once said, there's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it'll behooves any of us to find fault with the rest of us. And I think we all can have te narcissistic tendencies because I know someone close to me who I believe is very narcissistic, but I also think that person, I won't gender them, has a kind heart. But it's just You're talking the about way Darren. that... Darren <laughs> and, and, and Blake. Um, uh, and James, uh, and me. No, like, no, no, no. But, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think we're all a little bit of everything. Well, I wonder, you know, in the same way that like every age seems to have its malady, right? So, uh -huh. you know, I think in the 70s, it was schizophrenia was the thing. And and I guess lately in the modern era, it's been trauma has been the, the, the sort of everybody's surviving trauma. And I so I wonder if the narcissist thing is a bit, overused if it's ended up being a brush to paint everything or it, it could just be a trend that you know like in, in the next generation will have no use for it and we'll have another trend but i'm also thinking of the great phrase every generation gets the celebrities that it deserves mm -hmm. right. you know and i think the celebrities that we get that we have now that we deserve are ourselves <laughs> And that we've all made ourselves into the celebrities and we are what we deserve for it. I think that's very profound. I mean, I was thinking about the the, the rise of the Nazi party. If, if there's a narcissism epidemic and the, the rise of a Nazi party. And then I was thinking about, well, Nazi sounds a bit like Nazis. And how are Nazis and narcissists different? And no, but that that different in the well, the Venn the diagram thing of was all about subjugating the self, right? Everybody being a cog in a machine, and the narcissism thing is it's all about the self, and that that actually instead of subjugating the self, it's a sort of orgy of the self, and it it does seem to fit with this situation we seem to find ourselves in, where it feels like the fabric of society is being eroded because everybody's just sort of out for themselves. Does does that yeah. make any kind of sense? I it don't does. Know. But in fifth century BC, you know, Pericles and the idea of those of the self and, and civilization, it's it is the human condition. I read one book in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about halfway through this book about uh, I, I, the the one piece of advice if you if you are in a you know situation whether it's at work or in a relationship or a parent who's a narcissist the, the one piece of advice i think is kind of funny is the way of dealing with it 
is you can never change them, apparently. That's that's not going to work. So what you should do is it's called the gray rock strategy, <laughs> which means to be as dull as possible. Make yourself as dull as possible. And that's the, that's, you know, instead of like um, garlic for vampires or a crucifix, um, the, the, the cure for scaring off the narcissist in your life is just to make yourself dull, like a gray rock. So and, that they can't get anything off? They can't? Yes. 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 So just a lump of poo, basically. It's all- so basically be Mike Pence. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, that's available on Amazon. Um, Binge Queens is back for RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world uh, with Taste, Lala Ree, and Jerry of Paris, Van Michaels, and Jessica Wilde, of course. And Hey Queen, streaming exclusively on Wow Presents Plus. Johnny McGovern sits down with the eliminated queen from each week of RuPaul's Drag Race season 16 for a tell-all interview. It's sickening. Um, I have a question. What 70s pop duo own two apartment buildings named after their hits in Downey, California. Hmm. I have the answer for you right here uh, on the Wow Report after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to Wow Report. It's Fenton here with Blake and James and Tom. Blake, you had a question for us. I did. What 70s pop duo owned two apartment buildings across the street from each other, named after their hits in Downey, California, which is right outside of Los Angeles? I know you're going to say Captain Antoniel. No, I wanted to, but I'm, but I, the Downey thing is the clue. I'm going to say, okay, what about, um, what about Hall and Oates? That's no. what I was going to say. Is it the Eagles? But they weren't a pop duo, so that's no good. Um, the, the the Carpenters. Oh, from Downey, California. The buildings were named only just begun and close to you, and they still have that on the sides of them, even though the oh. Carpenters sadly don't own them anymore. Well, yeah. Well, they um, they're apartment buildings, are they? They are apartment buildings. Yes. Okay. All right, we're counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four. Number four. I, uh, this is not my field of expertise, but a story brought me a smile and some hope, and I thought that was worth talking about. Do you guys hear about the $1 billion donation that will provide free tuition at a Bronx medical school? Do you hear about that? Love this, yes. Yeah. So the woman's name, I have to pull it up here, is she's a 91-year-old Ruth, I believe it's Gottsman. Um, and she was a longtime professor at the Albert Einstein College of, Med- of Medicine. Her husband was a you know financial whiz, and he passed away. And I guess much to her surprise, it was a lot of money, enough that she could give a billion dollars. David Gottsman was his name. Um, and he had early investments in Berkshire Hath- Hath- Hathaway and all that. And so she had worked, you know, as a professor and it's in a, and it's in a very underserved part community, you know, where there's very bad statistics about medic, medical care. And so by giving this $1 billion, pe- people will be able to go tuition free. Doctors will be able to, you know, students will be able to become doctors without being burdened with the hundreds of thousands of medical debt. And how beautiful is that? Beautiful. And how it is. Yeah, it's it's not just this class, it's in perpetuity 
for until I'm assuming they create a trust that just keeps making money and money and money and money. But instead of lining somebody's pockets, yeah, yeah, or building some building, some vanity building, she's actually paying for people's tuition, which I think is incredible. I Um, do love those stories. I remember um, when Vincent Astor died. And he left the hundred million dollars to Brooke Astor. And he said, your only job is to give this money away before you die. And so she spent the rest of her her life just, you know, feeding the public libraries and and, you know, helping the underprivileged in New York City. And I I guess that still goes on. You know, um, Jeff Bezos's first wife obviously was doing things. But, you know, there's some other thing I saw online. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's like. Jeff Bezos's wealth before COVID, after COVID, before COVID was like, and I'm making up numbers, $45 billion. And now it's $245 billion. And you just see what like a billion dollars can do, like spend that money, put it back into the world. Well, um, I saw something online saying, you know, what if Elon Musk, instead of spending $44 billion on Twitter, had like, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry. Are we still in the narcissist story, Fenton? Are we still in the narcissist story? <laughs> Anyway, that's a quick one, but I just wanted to salute her. Um, and and uh, and and again, it just brought me joy. And there was there was actually the 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 president of the college is a little clip online of them announcing it to the student, and just the reaction. It was like you know the Oprah Car thing times a billion, if you will. Right. <laughs> there you go. Um, number three, James. Number three. I am doing American comics: a history. Um, which is an absolutely fascinating look at the history of comic books and comic serials and newspapers, starting with the Civil War when it was mostly propaganda to try and get people on both sides. And then through like Windsor McKay and Little Nemo and the Cats and Jammer Kids in the early 1900s, Dick Tracy, Little Orphan Annie, The Shadow, um, all of that stuff in the newspapers in the 20s and 30s. Going into DC, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman in the 40s, and then to the 60s, of course, when it, when Marvel revolutionized the comic book industry by putting everything into political and socio-political and cultural, you know, terms. Um, really fascinating stuff. Two factoids that leapt out at me. Number one, Charles Schultz hated the peanuts. He hated the name peanuts. And he wanted it to be little folks or something like that. But a newspaper bigwig overrode him and renamed it Peanuts. And he renamed it Peanuts because he mistakenly thought that that was the hip slang that all the kids were using Ah. to to be about kids because Howdy Doody had the peanut gallery. So he thought Peanuts were kids. And he thought that's what everyone was saying. All the hip people were saying, calling kids Peanuts. And so... Uh, and Charles Schultz hated that until the day he died. Can we start he- calling each other peanuts? <laughs> yes. Hey, peanuts. Hey, peanuts. Hey, peanuts. And the other one was that there's a whole chapter on Mad Magazine talking about how in the 50s that basically Mad Magazine and Playboy Magazine were the two driving cultural forces of the time. And they reshaped the culture that we live in even to this day and how, you know, without 
mad without mad magazine there wouldn't be you know laugh-in or saturday night live or any sort of skewering of celebrity skewering of politics it was the first one to really take on the establishment in a way that led to the 60s and people rebelling against establishment and things like that it was the college students that were reading it and playboy too broke down so many barriers of sexuality leading to the sexual revolution things like that so they're the two most important factors of the 1950s. And it gives a really good argument for that. I didn't, I just sort of summed it up very quickly, but um, Alfred E. Newman, the idiot mascot on the cover of every mad magazine was based on young Prince Charles and that the face with the big ears and, and the idiot expression on I his face. I always hated that. That image and, is so grotesque. Yeah. And apparently Prince Charles was pissed off. The queen was pissed off that they tried to bring legal action against Mad. And of course, there was nothing they could do about it because it covered by satire. But he's blonde, isn't he? And the- he's, no, he's redhead and he's got... Um. A, but but apparently, if you look at it, you can there there were side by side pictures of young Prince Charles and Alfred e. Newman. I thought that was absolutely hysterical. May I put a, a footnote on your story? Yes. Peanuts did car ads for the 1962 Ford Falcon. You can watch those online as well. Thank you. <laughs> and Lucy is a narcissist. So it all sort of uh... does it also tell the story of the comic code? Because I think that's quite an interesting yes. Yeah. Well, interestingly, so much of early DC, um, they, you know, they entered into the, it was at the World War II and all of that. And, um, you know, there was fighting Nazis and all that stuff. But essentially, a lot of it, you know, um, the creator of Wonder Woman was um, uh, a leather fetishist. And so Wonder Woman is always ripping the clothes off of women. She's always in leather. She's always being tied up. Every issue, she's being bound in some intricate Mm -hmm. way. There's a lot of sexuality and things. And people were saying that Batman and Robin were gay, all that stuff. And it led to the comic code in the 1950s, which destroyed the comic industry. Everybody went away for, for five or six years. And the only ones that survived were um it was the horror comics too the ec comics that really when everybody was you know bloody heads and vampires and things like that that was you know the youth of america were being you know da, da, da. so that all happened and it wasn't until the end of the 50s when they started coming back and that's when um marvel oh right because I definitely had sexual feelings for spider-man i have to say uh, oh yeah young age it was like you know all that webs well, spider-man is yeah well spider-man is sexual the the web coming out is, yeah, is definitely cool. nocturnal emissions there you and, go. and uncontrolled you're uncontrolled able it comes out of you blah, blah, blah. and the spandex so, fetish yeah you are you are famously overstimulated by batman in the sixth yes Yes, I mean, the whole thing yes. is like story but, of my life. I am the Spider Man was the first um, superhero that was relatable to teenage boys in a way that no other superhero was. He was attainable. He was you. He was famous. He was always yeah. But beyond that, he was you know conflicted. He he was being you. Know, he had bullies. He wasn't you know his parents is mm-hmm. you know his had problems at school, all that stuff. He was a teenage boy with the teenage boy problems. Well, that's American comics. Um, I guess. Oh, by uh, Jeffrey Dauber. You got it. Okay, fabulous. Number two. Number two. I have a new obsession. 
It's not Soviet bus stops. I've moved on from Soviet bus stops. It is Japanese woodblock prints from literally the 1930s to the 1950s. This specific period where there were like three, a handful of artists, um, Hasui, Koetsu, Yoshida, Shote, and they created these prints that are sort of, I guess, about 11 by 17. And there's something about them. I mean, we'll put some examples on the Wow Report. There's, they're like, they're very flat. They're sort of illustrative and very peaceful. And in some ways, and this sounds like a negative, I don't mean it at all. In some ways, they're formulaic. There'll be landscapes of sacred sites like Mount Fuji or temples or those Tory gates, you know, the, the, the two sticks and the thing on the top. And they will also be often in the rain or at night or in snow. So they always have this sort of incredible mood. And if it's a night one, for example, there'll be in one corner of the, of the print a window, you know, with a yellowish glow coming from it. There's something so, whether it's sort of calming or a picture. Yes, I actually, yes, I get your moment of Zen. Um, but explain to me what a wood carve, what a wood cutting. It's it's a wood block, so it's it's like I guess it's like an engraving. So Um, you carve out the image on the wood, and then you you make the you press press the the paper on top. And the weird thing is, in some respects, a very uh, not simple, but um, what is the word? I mean, because they're not ornate and they are picturesque. But the colors, always like sunsets or dawn, but the colors are so enchanting. I've, I've become completely obsessed. And so my Instagram feed is now filled with Japanese wood. That sounds pleasant, actually. Is this something that you can start to collect? Are the prices prohibitive? Are no, they- they're not prohibitive. I mean, they're not like sort of contemporary art prices, like sort of Warhols. They're like, you know, the, the prints are like, a few hundred to a few oh, thousand. Yeah. And because it was sort of almost a, a style, almost like a sonnet, a tradition, they often have the same size, sort of basically like an 11 by 17 size, and also similarity of subjects, you know, also treated in the same way. And I was thinking about this and thinking, I wonder if there's something about it that's like a precursor of pop art. Because, you know, the one of the things about pop art is it's very it's sort of very flat. It's very graphic. You know, it's not necessarily highly realistic. It's, it's sort of... I'm it's glad like, you've made that connection because I've been dying to say this is your this is the perfect extension of your obsession with pop art and Warhol and all well, that. It seems to me, Fenton, that when we were in Tokyo for Party Monster, remember how people were always giving us gifts? <laughs> and it, wherever you go, people are, are handing you things. And I remember somebody giving us paintings that looked seemed like watercolors of cherry trees and the ocean waves and things. I still have them somewhere. And I'm wondering if these are woodcuts that... It sounds like they could be woodblock prints. Woodblock prints. The, the, the most famous one that everybody here will know is the picture of the wave. Um, yeah, yeah. Hokusai. that was like from like sort of 50 years earlier but it's one of the most one of the world's most famous images it's of that sort of a giant wave japanese yeah. wave and uh, 
but there's other sort of traditions, same tradition, but just emerged about like in the 30s to the 50s, I guess before sort of photography became ascendant. And the other weird thing about them is, Tom, is that like pop art, they were never considered art because they were never numbered. They were never like limited editions. They were just, you do a woodblock print and you just print it out forever. But now, of course, they are becoming quite rare because, you know, some of them are like 100 or so years old. But they were never, in that time, they were never considered art. They were considered like sort of touristy well, things. So, so much of art was not considered art when it, you know, I mean, when you think of um, photography was not considered art until the 70s, 60s, 70s. You know, silver, you know, it was Sam Wagstaff who made American silver, um, you know, teacups or teapots and things like that. It was it was considered, you know, valuable. So much of, you know, like impressionism and stuff like that was not, you know, the polish right. and all of that right. stuff. Neo expressionism was not considered art at the time. You know, it's it. You have to have a fifty year window for someone to appreciate what it is that you've done. Within a year, I see a collaboration: Crocs and Japanese woodprint art. Well, I see a a drag race challenge where (laughs) uh, it's probably more likely. Category is Japanese woodblock prints. (laughs) (laughs) One way. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, House of Love flavors. Remember, there's three new flavors available. Delicious vodka soda citrus. Only 100 calories, 4% strength. Passion fruit margarita. Also, just a hundred color uh, colors calories, and uh, then for the sober amongst us, myself excluded, the totally tropical mocktail, and of course, then there's always the uh, tangerine margarita. Oh my god! You know, just thinking about it, I feel drunk. You take like thirteen percent. Like you know, gorgeous. All available at HouseOfLoveCocktails.com. One more break. When we come back. The number one thing this week. That, well, I we, I don't know if I want to say wow with this, right? It, whoa. It, it, whoa. It, it made us feel something is, is what it did. Yes, right. We'll have that right after the break here on the Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Uh, we've been counting down, Tom and James and Blake and myself, we've been counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. This is a difficult number one. Number one. It is. Um, uh, I don't know if, you, if Tom, you've been able to watch it. You probably haven't been able to watch it from start to finish. I don't know I, if you're going to want to do it. It's um, Where is Wendy Williams on Lifetime, which is a... a two day over two days there was four episodes and it follows um wendy williams struggle with um dementia aphasia alcoholism graves disease everything that she's dealing with and the effects that it has on her and her family and the people around her and how she is now in into a conservatorship and they don't know where she is the family and um they hear from her but but wendy um is a co-producer of this and she gave the okay for it before things started getting really bad. It's sort of what I, 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 how I understand it. So she, she, she wanted people to know what she was going through, but I don't think that she was probably in her right mind as they started filming. And if she was, she might've put the kibosh on it or her family should have put the kibosh on it because it is 
painful to watch. It is so upsetting. It is so tragic and sad to see this woman who, um, love her or, or, or not, she was a vital force in the entertainment industry and to see what she is going through now and how the alcoholism is affecting the aphasia and um, uh, and she just refuses and, and how she's acting out in public and uh, some people were enabling her, it seems, and you don't know who the good guys are in this, who are the bad actors, who, is, who are trying to enable her, who are taking advantage of her, who really want to help her. And and it, it brings to mind Britney is, is what it does, where you had the people around her were the were the taking advantage of her and um, the conservatorship for better or for worse took her out of that situation and or were the conservatorships was the conservatorship the bad thing for for Brittany you know like who who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and and poor Wendy Williams just sort of seems to be caught in the middle of um, Fenton what did you uh, you know, the producers and executives at Lifetime, which is part of A&E, gave an interview saying if we had known that Wendy had dementia going into it, no one would have rolled a camera. And they also say they'd never air something that didn't have Wendy's best interest at heart, to which I have to say lies. Yes. I yes. know A&E. We've worked with them. It's always been a bit of a bumpy ride. And I just don't believe that for a second. And as someone who has two siblings with dementia, you know something is wrong way before anyone else does. And for them to pretend that they didn't know is just consummate bullshit. And that's what makes me angry. I, I, I just find the whole thing shady and suspicious and all the rationalization that they're trying to bring to it and the self-justification. I personally having none of it. And I, 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 it's, it's, Tom, take it away. It's like, stop me saying something. I, have, I just, it makes me sick to my stomach. It's such a complicated thing. There are no, there are, as James pointed out, there, who are the heroes? It's just life is really complicated sometimes. And I wish her and her family the best, which sounds really trite, but I do. And um, and I, I don't disagree with your uh, moral kind of uh, evaluation of the situation, but, I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't have words. It's just. But I think we all join in wishing Wendy the best care possible. and. Yeah. Um, and peace to her family for, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, look, sorry to end on this uh, slightly down note, but thanks for tuning in to The Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>